This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 10th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Police regularly have the law on their side when they take your stuff, even when they don't even charge you with a crime. In a new report from the Institute for Justice Policing for Profit, co-authors Lisa Nepper and Angela Erickson break down to the extent the data exists, where the money comes from, where it goes, and why civil forfeiture is still a massive problem. In the five years since the Institute for Justice produced a policing for profit report, uh, that was the first time uh, IJ produced that document. Uh, Lisa Nepper, what has changed in the world of civil asset forfeiture? Obviously, the the issue has received a lot more attention in the last five years than it has in the previous 15. <laughs> That's definitely true. Yeah, I would say that there's been some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that, for the most part, civil forfeiture has continued unabated. We see, as we did before, just explosive growth at the federal level, 500 million taken in 2001, uh, 5 billion in 2014. That's a tenfold increase in just 14 years. We're seeing explosive growth at the state level, but we're also seeing a movement toward reform. Um, and that's that's one of the more positive things that we're, we're seeing. So part of why this is a huge growing problem is that law enforcement are able to keep up to 100% of the proceeds of this these forfeitures. And they're able to take the, this money under easier procedures than under criminal forfeiture. I remember uh, Attorney General Eric Holder made a big deal out of the fact that the federal government would no longer be involved in this process of adoption for some forfeitures. I don't think it was even all of them, but uh, there was some misrepresentation early about what that actually meant. So what, what share of civil asset forfeiture that the federal government is involved in actually involves this adoption and what is adoption? Sure. So um, there's adoption is part of the equitable sharing program and equitable sharing is a federal program uh, that enables state and local law enforcement to take property under federal forfeiture law. So not their own state's forfeiture laws, but rather federal civil forfeiture law. Now, why would a state or local agency, law enforcement agency, do that? Well, one reason might be that they can get up to 80% of the proceeds back through federal law, but they might not be able to claim that money under state law. Also, federal civil forfeiture law offers few property rights protections for owners. And so, uh, in in some instances, it may be easier to win that property. It may be easier to win a civil forfeiture case federally. So, what what uh, the attorney general's order did was limit part of the equitable sharing program, adoptions. And that's where there's just a straight-up transfer from, from a state or local agency to the federal government. Uh, what it totally left alone was another means of equitable sharing, uh, which happens with task forces. So we have state, local agencies working together with the federal government on task forces or joint investigations. And that actually uh, accounts for 87% of the equitable sharing done through through the Department of Justice. So by and large, this circumvention of state laws using federal forfeiture instead of state, for, state forfeiture will, will continue. For many states, I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, have passed laws that say, look, if you get, if you police agency collect funds through 
uh, civil asset forfeiture that was taken over or the lead agency was a federal agency, you ha just have to put that money into the general fund. Well, they're not allowed to do so. Under federal laws, any equitable sharing funds have to go back into law enforcement purposes. That's a, that, it's a federal law. It's a federal law. And so any state that wants to send that money to general fund is not allowed to. However, a state, if a state would like to ban their agencies from using equitable sharing, they could do that. And Mexico, New Mexico has done that. And D.C. will do that starting in 2018. You also look at uh, individual state by state. And this report goes into quite a bit more depth uh, than the previous one. What kinds of data did you collect and uh, what was surprising or not surprising about it? Well, I should, um, I should point out that Angela led our, our efforts to uh, submit public records requests to states and the federal government. And our team submitted something like 200 public records requests, which generated 1.5 million pages of forfeiture records. Um, so it's, it's quite an extensive um, lineup of, of data that we've got. Even so, what's appalling is just how much data are missing. Uh, states just aren't required to produce forfeiture data. They're not required to track uh, how much money they're taking in. Even less, they're not, uh, even less are they required to track what they're doing with all of this money. Um, it creates a huge risk that, that you've got essentially off-the-books slush funds. Um, that said, the data that we have collected show um, what we see at the federal level, which is growth over time, more and more forfeitures being used to take property away from people. And even in states that actually have a little bit more information than most, we see, for example, in Connecticut and Oregon, where law enforcement is preferring civil forfeiture over criminal forfeiture. But in most cases, we have no idea how much civil versus criminal forfeiture is going on. And so we don't know necessarily if states are saying... Well, we're going to go to get. We're going to try to get this forfeiture before the before the conviction, if there even is a charge filed, rather than to wait and roll the dice on seizing assets after a conviction. That's right. That's right. And that's one of you know one of the reforms that that we're backing is greater transparency. And among among the things that law enforcement should be more forthcoming about is whether that they're even filing charges when they're taking property away from people. In terms of states that have performed poorly and performed well, you've mentioned uh, New Mexico a couple of times. New Mexico essentially eliminated civil asset forfeiture in the last year. How did other states perform? Most states fail. So we have grades in this report that show 35 of the states receive a D plus or worse. And the federal government also received D minus. So overall, forfeiture reform is really needed at the state and local level. And then there are a few states, as we mentioned, New Mexico and D.C., which do much better. And this is partly because they've heavily reformed their forfeiture reforms to completely eliminate the profit incentives. So from now on, any forfeiture proceeds that come in have to go into a general fund or an education fund or some other neutral source. In states where police agencies are required to provide the state police or a justice agency with data about their forfeitures, how many of them actually do? Well, it fluctuates uh, between the states that actually do have reporting requirements. There, more often than not, is missing information. Oftentimes, agencies aren't reporting. Part of that is because 
they're not may not be required to if they don't have forfeiture. And so we don't know whether they're failing to report because um, they don't haven't taken any any forfeitures in, or whether or not they're just not forfeiting or not reporting at all. Um, and so there's a lot of missing information even in the states in which there is information, and even with the agencies that report, there's often missing information in those reports as well. So there's even among the information that we know, there's a lot that we still don't know. Yeah, and it's really troubling when you step back and you think about the awesome power that law enforcement has to take property away from people um, without proving that they're guilty of any crime. And that in and of itself is is appalling. And then you layer on to that the fact that they can take that property um, and in most places uh, use the proceeds to supplement their own budgets and often do so with little or no transparency or public accountability. Mm-hmm. And as as part of that, uh, there's some reporting out there on forfeiture, but there's hardly any reporting on expenditures. So there are about four states that have expenditure data that's sort of understandable where you can see what they might be spending money on. But even there, it's broad categories. Oftentimes, it's other, as in they market as an other expense. And it also goes into salaries and equipment. And But for every other state, we have no idea what law enforcement is actually using this money for. Yeah, across those four states, the largest single category is equipment. The second is salaries, which is obviously troubling. Um, And the third is other, other law enforcement expenses. And we have no way of knowing what what that money is being spent on. So in in terms of uh, civil forfeitures being used to supplement salaries, are there specific states or localities where this is uh, far more widespread than elsewhere in the country? Well, you know, it's really hard to say because we only have data from, from four states. Um, Oklahoma was an outlier in this regard, mm-hmm. I think. Something like 70% of their forfeiture spending in 2012. Sound salaries. Went to salaries, yeah. Um, but, you know, we've seen that in Philadelphia as well, where IJ has a case and is challenging their um, just incredible forfeiture machine. And, and their... Uh, Forfeiture goes to about 20% of the the DA's budget and and includes uh, salaries for for folks in that office. So there's a really troubling incentive here to to take property. Pretty much all of the defenses of civil asset forfeiture boil down to uh, we do good things with this money. They do not seem to make a claim about the propriety of uh, stealing property without having proven that that property was involved with a crime or that the owner of that property uh, was involved in crime at all. Well, I mean, that's it's hard to say that good things are being done with money when you don't know where it's going. Um, but even so, we found that just paltry percentages go to things like community programs, um, you know, fighting crime or like uh, uh, combating drug use, that kind of thing. It's just, what about a couple of percent? Maybe. And even so, it's still circumventing the appropriations process. If there's uses that they need money for, they should be going through the budgetary process. That's right. All right. So speaking of that, uh, that sounds like something state lawmakers would like to hear. That is, uh, these police agencies are spending a bunch of money that you did not allocate to them. So to talk to state lawmakers, uh, what would you say to them to get them interested in the issue of civil asset forfeiture? Well, I think part of it is is the appropriations problem, that you have law enforcement uh, 
self-generating their own funds and then deciding how to spend them, largely in the dark, um, and by taking property from people who may very well be innocent of any crime. Um, that's something that lawmakers should be troubled about. They should be troubled about the lack of transparency. They should be troubled about innocent people losing property. And they should be troubled about law enforcement generating their own funds when the power of the purse is supposed to belong to the state legislature. It's a bit like a self-licking ice cream cone. That is to say they've got their own inertia. And uh, in addition to uh, them raising funds that may go directly to salaries, it's also diverting their efforts away from activities that uh, they ought to be focusing on. I think that's absolutely right. The, the perverse profit incentive that's really at the core of this problem encourages law enforcement to chase property instead of criminals, and that's a problem. And, you know, when law enforcement uh, leaders try to defend the program, they'll often say, well, this is about targeting drug kingpins. This is about targeting criminals. And the message of reformers is really simple. Prove it. If you want to take somebody's property away, prove that they're actually guilty of a crime through the criminal process, not through civil forfeiture. And we see, based on essentially the average amounts of what is coming in, the mean property values, these are small values. They, on average, are around 500, 2,000 in some states. They're not kingpin, drug kingpins who are they're targeting here. It's average Americans, small amounts that you can't really defend by hiring an attorney because it'll cost more than the value of the property. Right. And that's, that's another big problem. Uh, with folks who get caught up in this process. It's such a complicated, convoluted process to try to effectively sue to get your property back. You've got to hire, a, hire an attorney. There's no right to counsel. Um, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be confusing. And you're really not going to stand a chance. And why would you do it for a few hundred bucks, for a couple of thousand dollars? Angela Erickson and Lisa Nepper are co-authors of the new report, Policing for Profit, from the Institute for Justice, Learn more about the problems of civil asset forfeiture at our site, cato.org.